0: have your Bibles turned to Matthew, the 27th chapter. Matthew, the 27th chapter. <clears throat> Many people around this world today are celebrating Easter Sunday, the fact that Jesus came forth out of the grave on the first day of the week. As God's people, we assemble every Sunday to memorialize His death when we assemble around the table and partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we assemble, we assemble upon the first day of the week, which symbolizes the day that Jesus came forth out of the grave. But I thought it would be good for us to be reminded today of what exactly Jesus went through so that you and I could have salvation. So beginning in verse 26, it says, Then release He Barabbas, Unto them, And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come to the, unto the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull... They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. And they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross." likewise also the chief priests, mocking him, and the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he has said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabbath and I, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let it be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And when the centurion and they that were with Him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. As we read the account of Matthew and the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus, we're able to see a number of people who were present on that occasion. And in the crowd that day, there were faces. And in fact, if you look hard enough, you'll see your face in that crowd. You may look at the picture that's on the screen and you may say, well, those people look kind of modern. Well, that was my point. Because I I want us to realize that we are represented in one of those groups that we're going to talk about this morning. And I hope that you can be honest with yourself and realize that you're in one or the other. And hopefully you're going to be in the one that we talk about last. But the first person that we want to look at Was In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32 it says, "...and as they came out they found a man of Cyrene, uh, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear the cross." In Mark chapter 15 and verse 21 it says, "...and they compelled Simon of Cyrene, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross." Here we find an individual who was just passing by and saw the crucifixion or the the leading up to the crucifixion. And he was compelled. When you see that word compelled, that doesn't mean that he jumped out and said, hey, I'll carry his cross. That means that they forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. And when we see Simon in that crowd, we see the faces of some of us that may be present today that we're there on that occasion. Because how many are here today and how many are in other places uh, worshiping because they're compelled, because they're forced. They're not there because they want to be. But maybe they're there to please a husband or to please a wife. They're not interested in what the, the church stands for. They're not interested in what Jesus did for them. They're just there to support their family. Maybe a mom is here because of her children, and she wants her children to to do what's right, but she's not really into Christ and His kingdom. Perhaps there's even preachers that are in the pulpit today that are there only to get paid, not because they believe or are concerned about souls, they just do it for their own belly's sake. Are you in that number? Are you here today because you want to be here? Or are you here just because someone else wants you to be here? Simon was forced to the cross. And not by his choice. I don't know if he ever became a Christian as a result of what he did or what he saw or what he heard. But we know that he was compelled and he was there. So maybe your face is represented by Simon. We also see some people at the cross who behaved very foolishly. They were foolish at the cross. We read about those in verses 34 through 44. And that group would include the soldiers who were there that caused the crucifixion. The crowd that walked by, those that were there to watch. Because I would imagine it's just like today. You know, you see an accident on the side of the road. Everybody slows down because they want to gawk. I'm sure that there were gawkers there that day that wanted to see the execution. They wanted to see what was happening. And so the soldiers were there, the crowd was there, and there were even some religious leaders that were there on that occasion. The crowd of were, uh, was a crowd of individuals. Do you see your face in that crowd? Because they were so close to the cross, but yet they were so far away from Christ. To think that Jesus is dying on the cross for them, and they don't even take it seriously. They look at Jesus as the enemy. They look at someone, that need, look at Him as someone that needs to be put to death. And in that crowd, you see the soldiers who were so close to the cross, but yet so far away from Christ. And what were they doing? They were playing games. They were gambling. They were casting lots. How many of us today are gambling with our souls when we're so close to Christ, but yet we're waiting for a better day or a better opportunity or something to happen in the future before we obey the Gospel? They're so close, but yet so far away the crowd another group that were so close and as it says it says in verse 39 and 40 and as they passed by they reviled him and wag, wagging their heads and saying thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in 3 days save thyself if thou be the son of god come down from the cross can you picture those individuals as they're walking by just shaking their head can you believe this guy if He's who He claims to be, then why is He up there? I can't believe it. Maybe that represents you. Religious leaders, they knew better. They knew what Jesus was. They knew what He was what to look for. They should have recognized Him as the Messiah, but yet they rejected Him as the Messiah and sought to put Him to death, and now they have, were accomplishing their mission. They wanted Him to die. When we look at Old Testament prophecies, they should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. But they rejected that message. So close, but yet so far. Religious leaders in Matthew chapter 27, verse 41 through 43, it says, Likewise, the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God and let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. If they had only known... Perhaps they would not have been so foolish. It was only after Jesus died on the cross that some in that crowd recognized who He was. Because it was a centurion and those that were with Him. It said now, in verse 54, when the centurion... And they that were with Him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Can you imagine being there on that occasion? Being the individuals that were gambling? Being the individuals that were mocking and ridiculing Jesus? Being a religious leader who was doing the same thing about Jesus? Why are you up there? If you are who you claim to be, you shouldn't be up there. And then to see the darkness. To know that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. They knew that they had crucified the Son of God. Many people behave foolishly. In Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 8 and verse 36... The Bible tells us, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We see those soldiers and we see them gambling and we say that's foolish but how much, how, how much more foolish can you get than to gamble with your soul when the Bible warns us that there's going to be a judgment. That we're going to stand before Christ and we're going to give an account of our lives based on the life that we've lived here on this earth. And we all know that the Bible is very true when it tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We're all going to die. And we see that happening every single day of our lives where people die. And as we get older, we start to realize that that group that's in front of us is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And guess what? We're moving up. And so, from the youngest that's here to the oldest that's here, there's that appointment that's here. But yet, how many people play games? with their soul I remember reading on one occasion that a man would go into a a, a casino in Atlantic City once a year and he would lay down a million dollar bet and if he won then he would make a, a fortune but if he lost he would lose a million dollars now you and I may look at something like that and say that's kind of foolish to waste that kind of money what could you do with a million dollars but think about what people do with their souls every day when they put them in jeopardy. Our soul is the most valuable possession that we have, and Jesus tells us that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if we see the value of our soul, then we're going to do that exact thing. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul tells us, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. many put off their soul salvation until a better day I've known of people that said I want to live life as long as I can and then when I get close to the end that's when I want to obey the gospel there's one problem with that thought you may not have tomorrow your life may be ending today it may end tomorrow it may end next week who knows when it's going to end you don't know and neither do I That's why today is the day of salvation. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, a very important question is asked concerning the writer when he says, How shall we escape when we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? If we're lost, because we gambled with our soul, if we're lost... How are we going to escape? We know what the answer is going to be. We know what's going to happen. There's two choices: heaven, hell. We got the choice: everlasting life or everlasting death. Which one do you want to choose? The choice is yours. Don't wait until it's too late to obey Christ. Do it today. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Are you in that group? The group that behaved foolishly at the cross? We preached the cross. And him that was crucified on that cross. So that people can have information on what they need to do in order to be saved. But yes, sometimes we behave in a foolish way when we're so close. And then the third person, which is the last person that we're going to look at, is a person who received forgiveness on the cross. Matthew chapter 44, we find there that the two male factors, the two thieves, they reviled Jesus also. But then if you flip over to Luke chapter 23, beginning of verse 39, it says this. And one of the male factors which were hanged hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered rebuke, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man have done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Here we find an individual who's hanging on his own cross for a crime that he had committed. Him and the other malefactors that were hanging by Jesus were Thieves. And then what does it say? One of those thieves expressed his remorse. He rebuked the one individual. He expressed his remorse for what he did. He knew he deserved the punishment that he received, but he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus didn't deserve what he was getting. And he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. Maybe he had a realization that life was going to end. And he needed to do something about his soul. And that's an important question we need to ask ourselves. What do we want to do with our soul? Do we understand what Jesus did? He goes through all of this ordeal for you and me so that you and I can have the forgiveness of sin. And may I point out that this individual lived under a different dispensation than we live under today. Because Jesus had not died on the cross at that particular moment, and so it was easy for Him to receive forgiveness there on the cross. We have to do something in order to have the forgiveness of sin. But this individual realized his condition and he did something about it then. We see His remorse, we see His humility, and we see His plea for help. And so I ask this question. Were you there in that crowd on that day? Are you compelled? Are you foolish? Or are you forgiven? There's one more important part of that event. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28. Because you see, the rest of the story is very important. Because Jesus didn't stay in that tomb, and He arose victorious over the grave. And beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 28, it says, "...and in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and another Mary to see the sepulcher." And behold, there was a great earthquake. From, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake, and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, or woman, "Fear ye, or fear not ye." For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for He is risen. As He said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. That's an important part of what Jesus did. Because not only did He die on a cross, not only did He suffer for your sins and my sins, but He was laid in a tomb, and on the third day, which was the first day of the week, He came forth out of that grave, so that you and I could have hope. You see, it's important that we understand that gospel. Because the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, and we're told in Mark chapter 16, Jesus told His disciples, beginning in verse 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so they were to take that gospel message and they were to tell everybody. And that's exactly the mission that I have and we all have that are Christians is to take that gospel message to the world. And what is that gospel message? It is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he arose victorious over the grave. Because it tells us in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Paul tells us what the gospel is. Because he says in those verses. Behold, brethren, or moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He arose again the third day according to the Scripture. So Jesus says go out into the world and preach the Gospel. Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians that that Gospel consists of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we see on the day of Pentecost Peter stood up with the rest of the apostles and what did he proclaim? The death, the burial, and the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and when they came to that realization that they had crucified Christ, they were concerned about their soul. Paul tells us in Romans chapter one, verse sixteen, that that gospel is the power of God into salvation. You want to be saved, then you need to believe that gospel. You had to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He arose out of the grave on the third day. You need to believe all of those things concerning Him. It's important because that gospel that Jesus said to go into the world and preach is the power of God and the salvation. Now, you may not like to hear that. You may not want to believe that. But that's what God's Word says. And it's up to us as to whether or not we accept it. And the, the thing is, He created us as free moral agents. That means that you have a choice to accept it or to reject it. But that's the good news. The fact that Jesus died for our sins that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave. And so when we read Matthew chapter 27 and we see what what He did, we we see that death. And we can picture what He went through. Can you imagine the sadness that there was on on, on that Sabbath day, that Saturday? When Jesus was still in the tomb? Imagine the joy when He came forth out of that grave. On that first day of the week, Jesus had accomplished His mission. He came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And in Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse or chapter chapter Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one, get out here in a minute. It tells us there that He came to save His people from their sins. He came to save His people from their sins. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27, on the night that he was betrayed, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, which we'll be taking in a few moments, he said, For this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Jesus' blood was shed on that cross so that you and I could have the forgiveness or the remission of sin. So that's the gospel fact that Jesus did exactly what He was told to do, what He was planned to do, what was foretold that He would do, and it was God's plan from the foundations of the world. Before this world even existed, that was God's plan. That Jesus would die on a cross for our sins, and then raise Himself victorious over the grave. So how do I obey that gospel? The Bible tells us Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so we have to have faith, and we have to believe what the Bible says. Now we can ignore it. You see, we can be like some of those that were there on that day. We can play games with our soul. We can ignore the fact that Jesus died for our sins. We can put that out of our minds as far as we want. But the fact of the matter is, we have to believe that message. And that's faith. And I believe that that's exactly what Jesus did. He died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. So that we can have eternal life. Then we must repent of our sins. Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So, what do we need to repent of? We need to repent of sin. That means I need to repent that if I stop, have not followed Christ, that I need to make an about face and start following Christ. And that's what Peter is telling them on the day of Pentecost when he preached that gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because Peter made it very blunt. By wicked hands, you have crucified the Christ. And what did they say? What shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, that ye may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Was he telling them anything that Jesus hadn't told them? No. He was speaking the truth. They'd heard that gospel message. The message that Jesus said to proclaim. They believed that message. And now they needed to turn from their sin and be baptized into Christ. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, and verse 32, that whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. And so we make that great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. We want the world to know whose side we're on. That's what Jesus says we must do. And then He tells us in Mark 16, 15 and 16 to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That message is for everyone. There's no special group of people today. It's for Jews and it's for Gentiles. It's for the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated. It's for everyone, that gospel message. And so he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We could stop right there. I want to be saved. Do you want to be saved? Jesus says what you need to do in order to be saved. But He doesn't stop there. He says, He that believeth not shall be damned. Now people will argue and say, well, it doesn't say, and you don't have to. He didn't say believe not and baptize not. Well, if you don't believe, then what good would it do to be baptized? If you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what good would it do to repent and put your faith and trust in what He's taught? He doesn't have to say everything. Common sense tells us when well, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that you need to be baptized because you believe that message. Why is baptism so important? Well, I'm in the wrong spot here. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. Verses 3 through 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So, what's he saying? Here's that death, burial, and resurrection coming up again. That when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. Verse 4 Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What's He telling us? That gospel message about the death, burial, and resurrection, we reenact that death, burial, and resurrection when we go down into that water. That's what those pictures are. We see Christ on the cross. He came down. He was laid in a tomb. We we crucify that old man of sin. That means we stop that sinful life. We go down into that water. That's the burial. And then we come up out of that water to walk in newness of life. Why? Because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. You say, well, that's not plain enough for me. Well, what was Paul or Saul told in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16? When Ananias went into him and Saul was praying, who was later known as Paul, he was asked, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and what? Wash away thy sins. How do I get rid of my sin? Can I go to heaven living in sin? Can I go to heaven with sin on me? No, I have to have my soul cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so if I want that to happen, that act of baptism is very important because it represents the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And it represents my death to sin Where I come up out of that water a new creature, cleansed by his blood. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Without that blood being shed, there is no forgiveness. Even under the old law, they still had to rely upon the blood of Christ for their forgiveness. Their sin was just rolled ahead until Jesus died on the cross. How fortunate we are today that we can have our sins washed away by His blood, His precious blood that was shed on that cross. That description that we read there in Matthew chapter 27. When He did that, that made it possible for you and I to have the forgiveness of Satan. He cried, it is finished. His blood had been shed so you and I could be saved. Think about what baptism does for us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 tells us that it's baptism that puts us into Christ. And the body of Christ is the church. And I want to be a part of that body. I want to be in that church. Because outside of that, we see no salvation according to the Scriptures. Now you may deceive yourself into saying, well, I think I can be saved outside of the church. I think I can be saved outside of the body of Christ. I think I can be saved without being buried with our Lord in baptism. There's no reason that I need to get wet. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't play games with what the Bible's teaching. Don't get so close to Jesus, but yet remain so far away. Because Jesus did what He did so that we could have the forgiveness of sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, verse 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be victorious in the end? It's only going to happen through Jesus Christ. As a Christian, we realize the need to be faithful. We need to continue living that faithful life because we can fall from grace. The Bible teaches us that. But so in that same passage of First Corinthians the fifteen chapter, in that last passage of scripture, last verse of that chapter, verse fifty eight, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. So once I've completed that portion, I need to be faithful. I need to be faithful in my attendance. I need to be faithful in my life that I live. I need to be faithful to the Lord. Not about me. It's about God. And I live a life and should live a life, and we all should be living a life if we're Christians, that brings glory to our Father which is in heaven. That's the gospel message. That's why Jesus did what he did, because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need that Savior. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to do what we see there on that screen in that picture. That We need to obey that Gospel, that Gospel message. Don't get so close to the cross, but yet so far away from Christ when it's so readily available to you. We have seen what He did for us. The question is, what will you do for Him? If you'd like to become a Christian today, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. Maybe you haven't lived faithful to the Lord and you want to make things right, you can also come forward and we'll take care of your need. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.